0: You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer
1: and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland.
2: Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Friends of Anchor podcast. I'm Mike Elder, your podcast host, and I really hope that you enjoy hearing about the amazing work that Friends of Anchor does and the terrific people who support the charity in so many different ways. The main feature of each show will be an interview, and I'm delighted that today's guest, from whom we will hear shortly, is Sarah-Jane Hogg, the fundraising director for Friends of Anchor. The other elements of the show that we'll feature each week are a news and catch-up bulletin, a rummage around the Friends of Anchor archives, some thoughts about finding the words when talking about serious illnesses, and a potentially quirky and finally item as we sign off. So let's get started by hearing first of all from Erica Banks, communications lead at Friends of Anchor, about some upcoming fundraising events.
3: So after really long without many events, we're delighted to look forward to the calendar and see it completely packed with events. So coming up, we are the charity beneficiaries of the runway run at Aberdeen Airport. So that'll be a goodie. So on September 3rd, runners have been invited to take part in a three and a half K midnight run on the runway, the lit runway at Aberdeen Airport for a really unique running experience. Terrific. So looking forward to that one too. And everyone from the funders and team is taking part. So that'll be a team night out with a difference. And we'd love to see some familiar faces there. I'm looking at one of those familiar faces because I know Mike's going to be taking part.
2: I will be there. Looking forward to it as well. I'll race you. I'll uh, rise to that. (laughs) But uh, as you say, just a fantastic event. And how cool is that to be running along the runway?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I've recently learned that because of the nature of you being on the runway, and it's still technically operational, any debris that might fall is obviously, you know, foreign objects potentially causing danger. So it's no watches, no running watches, no phones or earphones. So we'll just have to have that sense of community keeping us going.
2: We certainly don't want to be the cause of a major incident.
3: No, definitely not. In terms of other events, and Loch Ness Marathon on October 2nd is another one we're really looking forward to. It's nice that there's, you know, Aberdeen currently doesn't have a marathon. Inverness is not too far away. It's a really picturesque place to do a marathon as well. Um, It's one that myself and our charity director, Sarah Jane, did last year. I have to say I wouldn't repeat the experience, but I would recommend it as a first timer to anyone.
2: Excellent. Anything else that's coming up in September, October?
3: Yeah, we have another event, again, being organised externally by a local company called VT Wealth. And for the first time ever, they are hosting a charity ball at the Chester Hotel. So they have very kindly chosen Friends of Anchor to benefit from fundraising on the night. And they've also got a really great lineup of Irish traditional music. So if that's your cup of tea, then tickets are available for that now as well.
2: Brilliant. And all of that information is on your website, of course.
3: It is, yeah. We do our very best to keep the website totally up to date. So that is always a good place to check out if you have got questions or want to see what's coming up.
2: And when I interviewed Sarah-Jane Hogg, she highlighted a different type of event, but an extremely important one, that is happening in October.
0: This year's our 25th year, so 25 years for the charity. And with that's come a real period of reflection on where the charity started and where it is. But a big part, which are trustee and committee board really feels appreciation and gratitude because what's all been achieved is thanks to donors to our volunteers to people that have been a part of the friends of anchor story and so with that we have our thank you event happening october you're the first to hear it mike it's not actually been announced yet
2: and privileged thank you
0: so on the 7th of october we'll be welcoming anyone that has supported friends of anchor to come and see and hear firsthand. What their support means for patient care and treatment up here in the Northeast. So, we'll have research lab tours, we'll have some of our wellbeing team there, we'll have some of our consultants. So, yeah, it's a really special opportunity to shake the hand of a researcher or hear from a consultant about a particular trial or piece of equipment that's been supported. So we're just very excited to bring everyone together and to look back at the last 25 years and what's been achieved and just hope that people continue on with us in this journey.
2: And because of Sarah Jane's special history with Friends of Anchor and her long and strong involvement with the charity, she was an obvious choice to be the first guest to be interviewed for this podcast. I started by asking her about how it all started and what the charity has meant to her over the years.
0: Thanks for having me on today. I'm Sarah and I have led up the team here at Friends of Anchor since 2010. So a wee while now. But I think like most people that support Friends of Anchor there's a personal heart pool there for the why. So um, as a family, we, I'd lost my mum quite young and the charity's beginnings actually start with my dad He was having a conversation with my mum's consultant and they both acknowledged there was just so much more that could be done for patients over and above the fantastic care we do have through NHS. And the inspired ideas by the consultants was to have a charity um, and to put a charity in play. But with that, they needed someone from the business world. So my dad is the chairman, Jim Milne, and has been from the founding days. So I guess growing up, I knew quite a bit about Friends of Anchor. did a few sponsored activities. I remember doing a sponsored swim in a pool. It was my very first sponsor page that I went around getting money and donations for. So yeah, so it's gone way back. I actually lived in Edinburgh for a number of years after graduating, so I didn't actually see myself coming back to Aberdeen. But um, my husband's job took us back, and the opportunity came to work at Friends of Anchor it's just been a real honour ever since to be part of the team.
2: Thank you very much for sharing that personal element and it clearly does mean a great deal to you. And it's a charity that also means a great deal to the people of Aberdeen and of the North East and North of Scotland. Why do you think that is the case?
0: I think it means a lot Mike because we know the impact, we can see the impact, you know what each of us knows someone sadly. It's that's the hard reality of this that cancer is right in the center of what we do um at friends of anchor but i think that just every household is affected and that gives us a real pool to go and do what we can do like everyone's got some way in which they do it whether it's giving time giving energy giving money giving resource and skill and yeah and we see we see the outworking of that it's local it's at our hospital we hear about it from loved ones that go through the unit so yeah i think that's why i guess we're all just so passionate in was for the cause because we see we see the difference that it makes
2: brilliant and it's obviously changed and grown quite a bit over the years what kind of changes have you seen and been aware of
0: yeah. I mean, I think the most exciting one is the fact that we've got the Anchor Center coming next year. Yeah. So for many, many, many years, I remember even in my placement year at Friends of Anchor when I was at university, round the table talking about they're having a purpose-built center for chemotherapy in the outpatient area. Yeah. And to see it actually tangibly happening, to see it becoming a reality, to know the doors are opening in a year's time, it almost feels quite surreal to say that out loud, but it's just so, so exciting. And to know that all of us are, yeah, are getting to be part of that in terms of watching the build, but also being a part of the fundraising for the delivering the difference part of that as well for the patients and the staff um, that will use the centre. So I think that's a huge thing. Wellbeing. So yeah. within the hospital, you know, Friends of Anchor started out because they felt there was more that could be done with equipment, with technology, with research. You know, so those initial funding streams that friends of anchor supported still stand today sure and are big parts of what we contribute towards the care up here in the northeast but in addition to that now having the well-being side so that's with our massage therapist at the chemo chairs at the bedside our hair and wig stylist the patient's getting their nails done when they're in getting chemo and radiotherapy and all of these things might seem quite small and almost insignificant when you compare it to equipment or research spend but it makes such a huge tangible difference. I think so often people say they feel like a person not a patient when that's happening with them and it's touch that's a positive experience for patients when they're going through treatment and having COVID really just stop it in its tracks. I remember the day when we were you know we were told we have to pull the team out the hospital and not knowing then it would be two plus years you know that's only now the first massage has happened these last two weeks for patients you know so again that moment in time you know when we two weeks ago before the first massage therapist kareem went in to do a patient we came on a call a team's call but came on just kind of marked that moment that there we go you know we're we're finally getting to put that back in play and i think we almost all took it for granted because even as a committee that are made up of many of the clinicians in the hospital. The committee have been saying for these last two years how much it's missed. They see it, I mean, the wards and how much they want our focus, you know, looking ahead and with the anchor centre and with the plans for the future. Well-being is a huge part of that, it's at the forefront of what we want to deliver.
2: And I think I'm right in saying that that extends to the staff as well. Yeah. That you provide to staff as well.
0: Yeah. So the first massages this year were for the staff. Brilliant. you know, we have our mindfulness course that's been offered online the last two years. And again, that's offered for the staff. And I think every donor would support that we, you know, we fund and we um, invest into the staff because they deliver an exceptional care up at the unit.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: So any way in which we can support their well-being and their working environment, then Friends of Anchor can hopefully help in that way.
2: Brilliant. Thank you. And the way that Friends of Anchor is funded is pretty special. Can you tell us about that?
0: So at Friends of Anchor, we are very fortunate that we have this unique model where we have a company that fund all the admin costs for the charities. So that's the salaries in the team, and the team has grown. It used to be one part-time person 25 years ago, and it's now up at five full-time. It's fully funded by Balmoral Group. So that company have been there supporting us from the founding days. So I think when someone donates £10 or you see people getting out, like even kids getting out the the pocket money and putting in the pennies, like we know that every penny really is going to make a difference. And we do know that we're fortunate to be able to say that. I know all charities would like that um, transparency with, with donations. But yeah, for 25 years, we can assure donors that every penny goes to the cause.
2: No, that's just fantastic. And my understanding as well is that the money that's given by members of the public and by companies comes in all shapes and um, forms and from all kinds of different activities.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we see support right across the, the length and breadth of the Northeast and further afield. You know, we had a really fun event happening during COVID called Going the Distance. So when events were shut down and we couldn't even really be close to any other human out with our house, you know, we, all these charities, we had to think creatively of what to do and going the distance. People went out and tracked miles across the month and which was really good for us was seeing the the level of support that came right across the globe you know people that obviously have founding roots in Aberdeen but we had people out in Dubai in the US Australia walking and building up the steps for Friends of Anchor.
2: That's terrific and in terms of your own involvement with Friends of Anchor and your role at the moment what are the core elements of that?
0: Yeah so as I mentioned earlier I have the privilege of heading up the team here so with that I'm accountable to our committee to make sure that we're just going in the direction that we need to be going, that we are doing all that we can be doing to fundraise, to get the funds in, to go and deliver what our hopes and aspirations are for the patients and the staff within the unit. So day to day that can really vary. I love it that we have the trust from our committee and our trustees and our board that they trust us as a team to go out and deliver what we do. So for events, we might have some crazy ideas and they support it. <laughs> for funding, you know, there's never a no. It's always looking at ways in which there might be some hurdles we have to jump over, hoops we need to go through. But, you know, if we feel it's the right direction for the charity, we'll find a means to to keep pushing through to make something hopefully plausible for for the unit
2: that's terrific just going back to your comment about uh, crazy things what's the craziest fundraising activity that you can remember or that comes to mind when you think of the different things that people have done to support the charity
0: the craziest things i mean we've had like oh you know just the level people will go to myself and Erica were training for the marathon and a family that have supported Friends of Anchor for many years like that the husband Thomas signed up for an Ironman and Ironman got cancelled so he was like right well I'll just do the Ironman at home you know so off he went finding a means to go and cover all that miles swimming on his bike running and likewise marathon we've had another family Karen, Stephen from WM Donald that had the London Marathon booked as well as a number of other supporters for the cause that when they couldn't go to London they did the marathon and after myself and Erica doing a marathon within a race environment to have the willpower to do that without the atmosphere and the crowds really is so impressive and admirable yeah people have just done crazy physical challenges shaving their heads Again, a huge thing, you, know, you hear of these headshaves, but emotionally to lose your hair, you know, to go and do that, it might be in support of a loved one that's going to be losing their hair through treatment. And they've done that at a fundraise, but also as a means of support. So yeah, you see people just pushing it, pushing the boundaries, pushing the limits, like surprising themselves when they go out and take on a fundraising challenge. I know, I know I have a skydive, Courage and the Catwalk, our very first year group 2013. The ladies were celebrating with some champagne and with the bubbles came the idea of jumping out a plane so i remember myself and one of the girls in the team carly were like well if you call us monday and you're still up for it then we'll do it and sure enough three months later we jumped out planes and to this day i <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't say that was my fondest memory but you know we raised so much as a group for friends of anchor and the whole day itself you know out with the jump was great fun so no there's always just people inspiring us for what they're doing
2: and can you tell us a bit about the amazing volunteers who contribute so much to, to Friends of Anchor?
0: Yeah, um, we have, we call ourselves the Red Army. It's all the red T's that you'll see when we're out at events. And the volunteers have grown over the years. So initially it was at our events. You know, we put on these big events and they've got bigger as the years have gone on. And with that, the fundraising team really need the volunteer Red Army team alongside us yeah. to deliver them. So over the years, the event team have grown. And then laterally within the hospital during COVID, we were asked to be part of the screening teams within the hospital, it started in radiotherapy, then it moved through into the chemo wards and outpatient areas. So we had to rally a team of volunteers to help us deliver that. That was Monday through to Friday. Nine till four. You know, so again, people gifting their time. And our chairman always says this, but like time is the most precious gift you can give. You can't get it back. So we're so fortunate to have such a whole I guess we call it family, but a cohort of volunteers, people that year after year support us and make sacrifices too, to continue that support. So we're very grateful for our volunteers. We couldn't do what we do without them.
2: And it really is that where, wherever there's friends of Anchor, there's there's those volunteers is, is what I've noticed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I, you know, like I said to you earlier, but for most of those volunteers, they've, they've each got their personal reasons to why they do it. Their heart as to why it resonates with them and why, giving their time is something like for some, it's their way of giving back and gratitude for the care they've received during the unit or a loved one has received. And I think we always say there's something wonderful when you see the Red Army or you see the relationship we have you know, collectively as, as a team and volunteer team that like out of something that is such a harsh, horrible, cruel reality has come something really quite wonderful.
2: What a great way to round off our conversation. Sarah-Jane, thank you so much for sharing your story, your thoughts, your history with Friends of Anchor. We've really appreciated it and I'm sure our listeners will have as well.
0: Thank you, Mike. And I kind of took the opportunity just to thank you for the time that you'll be putting in to producing this podcast for us at Friends of Anchor, the opportunities that we'll have to share the news and very grateful that you've come alongside to offer this to Friends of Anchor.
2: It's an absolute pleasure. As we've just heard from Sarah-Jane, the origins of Friends of Anchor go back 25 years. So it seemed appropriate to kick off our regular From the archives feature, with a selection of newspaper cuttings about the charity from its first year of operation, 1997. All of the articles that I'm going to mention today appeared in the Press and Journal, a remarkable publication which is Scotland's oldest daily newspaper and continues to provide in depth coverage of news and events from Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire right up and across to the Highlands and Islands. The paper has also been a great supporter of local charities and initiatives over the years. And on the 20th of May 1997, it announced that it was backing a £1 million campaign to house and equip a state-of-the-art cancer unit that would serve the north and northeast of Scotland. The article went on to explain that the anchor unit had been named by taking the initial letters from Aberdeen and North Centre for Hematology, Oncology and Radiotherapy and that its aim was to centralise the specialist cancer care facilities in the area and to be a centre of excellence for the treatment of and research into the disease. It also reported that the fundraising campaign had been given a terrific start with the presentation of a cheque for £10,500 from Lorraine Anderson from Shetland. Lorraine's 19 year old daughter Christine had been diagnosed as having a malignant tumour in her thigh and had very sadly died in February 1997. Christine had been a keen swimmer, so her friends embarked on a 100 hour sponsored swimathon at several swimming pools across Shetland, resulting in a much-appreciated five-figure donation, which got the fundraising campaign off to a great start. A flurry of other Press and Journal articles followed in quick succession, and it's interesting looking at them now to see them accompanied by a graphic for the charity, which resembles its present-day version, but is different in a couple of subtle ways. At that time, for example, donations were being invited to Friends of the Anchor Unit rather than simply to Friends of Anchor. And while three flowers featured in the logo, as they do today, they were decorating an actual anchor, which is no longer the case with the current design. Those early articles highlight the unique nature of the anchor unit in bringing together the three vital cancer treatment disciplines of oncology, hematology and radiotherapy but also provided specific insights into ways in which the fundraising would make a difference. One article, for example, focused on the fact that the money raised would be used to provide breakthrough equipment beyond normal budgeting options. In this instance, the item in question was a walk med, which was described as an ingenious device that dispensed life-saving drugs in a more convenient manner for patients by allowing them to be mobile while receiving correct doses of the medication at pre-programmed intervals. You can tell that the piece dates from a quarter of a century ago, as the walk med is described as looking like a portable cassette player, while the patient, John Strachan, is quoted as saying... It gives me a great sense of freedom. I usually wear it round my neck, like a Walkman. And of course, there are reports of various fundraising endeavours occurring during those early days of the campaign. More than £2,000 was raised by Gordon and Andrea Byers of Potterton, who asked friends attending their joint 40th birthday party to give donations instead of presents, as that would be much better than, in Mr Byers' words, receiving piles of aftershave and perfume that would stay in a drawer forever. In addition, £400 was raised by 79-year-old James Donald of Lynn of Skeen by selling flowering plants from his garden, while Andrew Burt, Michael Jaffrey and Jim Milne, all from Roffy Norman, raised £900 by having their hair shaved off at their local gala. There will be more from the archives in the next episode of this podcast, but please feel free to get in touch via... FOA podcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk if you'd like to suggest an item that could be included in this feature or if you wish to provide any feedback on what has been covered to date. I have given the title Finding the Words to this next section of the podcast because I was keen to provide the opportunity to explore some of the issues that are thrown up when we have to scrabble around to find the words and language that enable us to think and speak about serious illnesses in a way that works for us. As this topic is all about communication, it seemed sensible to turn this section of a podcast into a conversation. And the most obvious person to take part in that conversation seemed to me to be my wife, not least because she is very good at listening to me and then responding with, so what you are actually trying to say is... And she always nails it. So, Alison... Welcome to the Friends of Anchor podcast. Thank you so much for being willing to take part in this conversation, not least because I know you wouldn't naturally seek out a role in front of the microphone.
1: Thanks, Mike. You're right, but this topic is very close to my heart, so I'm keen to make a contribution if I can, and also as ever to keep you on track, if that's possible.
2: Well, we both know that can be quite a challenge, but if anyone can do it, you can. And to show that I'm willing to be directed by you, can I just check that you are happy for me to call you Alison, for the purposes of this podcast. It seems sensible to call you, Alison, as that's your name, but in normal life I always call you Ali, so I just wanted to check that you're okay with me going all formal on you.
1: Yes, it does feel a little bit odd, but it makes sense, so I'm happy with that.
2: So, Allison, first things first, why are we doing this? What are we trying to achieve?
1: Well, for me, it's about the fact that life can throw us some curved balls, and it's one thing to try and respond well to them and to find a way of coping with them, And it's another thing entirely to be able to have meaningful and appropriate conversations about those situations with other people. There's so much in the mix, the questions, the emotions, the uncertainty, that sense of being knocked sideways. And it's really hard to process all of that just in your own head. So when you actually have to speak words and try and talk about all of this to other people, well, let's just say that can be tricky. What about you?
2: I agree 100% with all of that. I think that the only thing that I would be keen to add is the fact that I'm fascinated by the different ways that people react and the different ways in which they talk about the issues that they are facing. I think that makes the whole situation even more complicated, as it's not that one person's approach is right and someone else's is wrong, but it can make it hard for people to connect effectively with each other if there are significant differences in the way that they tend to deal with circumstances and how they talk about them.
1: And have some of those thoughts been triggered by the fact that you and I have quite different personalities and can often react in quite different ways from each other?
2: Yes, I think that has obviously prompted some of my thoughts. It has definitely been a learning curve for each of us, not only to realise that we can be quite different in our responses, but also to find the words that enable us to talk about how we are feeling in a way that works for us, so that we then understand and appreciate the other person's point of view.
1: So where do you want to start our chat about this area?
2: I suppose that it makes sense to consider some general points to set the scene. The first and most obvious question, I reckon, is why are we having this conversation? What is it that we think that we can say that is relevant for listeners of this podcast?
1: Well, the fact that you were treated for a lymphoma, a blood cancer, means that we know what it's like to live through being diagnosed with a serious illness. So we have that experience to draw on. But another factor, I think, is that words and language were important to us at that time and were definitely something that we had to grapple with. For example, even just that first mention of cancer being a possibility seemed to change everything in an instant.
2: Absolutely. It felt to me as if a live grenade had been lobbed into the conversation by the doctor. And all of a sudden, I was being asked to juggle a concept that was about to turn into a reality that would blow up in my face.
1: I'm certainly glad that you didn't explain it to me in that way at the time.
2: No, that at least was something. I think though that I adopted my classic approach of mulling everything over internally, and I don't think that was entirely easy for you either.
1: No, I understood that you needed to work things through in your own way. But as we know, I'm a classic external processor, and I just speak out my thoughts as they come to me. So let's just say that I haven't always found it easy or straightforward when it was obvious that there were things going on in your head that you weren't
2: talking about. But I have at least got a bit better over the years, I think. The long pauses aren't quite as long as they used to be, I hope.
1: No, that is true, and I'm very grateful for that.
2: And when it comes to the detail of what we might discuss, what sort of things will we be covering?
1: Well, going back to your grenade point, dealing with a diagnosis of a serious illness is a good place to start. And not just for the person who's been given the diagnosis, but also how that is then communicated to family and friends. I also think that it's worth talking about ways of handling all the inquiries that arrive on a daily basis. They were all well-meaning, but it can be overwhelming to have to find the words to respond to so many questions about how things are going, especially during the wobbles that inevitably happen along the way.
2: I would agree with all of that. And I think that it's also worth talking about the times when there are no words. As despite it being somewhat counterintuitive, I think that silence can be an important part of communication, especially when dealing with the hard times. So are we done? Do you think that covers everything that we need to mention in this introductory conversation about finding the words?
1: Almost. I think that it's also important to stress at the outset that we're not making these comments because we got everything right and executed a perfect cancer coping strategy. We're here because we did find it difficult and upsetting and want to help others who find themselves in a similar situation and also because we think that it can only help for there to be a growing conversation around these issues.
2: Absolutely. And we don't want that conversation to be happening in a vacuum. So please let us know your thoughts on what we have discussed so far. And if you are happy to do so, please also share your own experiences in this area you can do that by emailing us at podcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk. Many thanks for taking part today, Alison. I hope that it wasn't as nerve-wracking as you had feared and that you'll come back next time.
1: Thanks. I think that I almost enjoyed it and I'm certainly happy to come back again next time.
2: Excellent. That's great news. I shall look forward to resuming our conversation in episode two. In the meantime, I should explain that I've always been a great fan of shows and programs that conclude with an, and finally, slot of a quirky, entertaining, or fascinating nature. So I hope that you don't mind if I finish off each week on that kind of note. On this occasion, I thought that you might be interested to learn that the first documented case of cancer was found in Egypt, was written on papyrus, and dates back to 1600 BC. It describes several instances of breast cancer and how they were treated. No patient satisfaction surveys are available from that time, but, as you can imagine, the records that have survived are likely to make us feel very grateful for the sophisticated use of anaesthetics and modern medical procedures from which we benefit today. The approach used by the Egyptians was to target an infected area with heat And that principle is still used by medical science today, but in a much more sophisticated manner, as you can imagine. Thankfully, the specific practice described in those early records of using a hot instrument called the fire drill to destroy a malignant tumour has fallen out of favour. So, thank you very much for joining us for this first episode of the Friends of podcast. The show notes provide relevant information and links and please do get in touch with your thoughts, feedback, questions and suggestions via email at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk all lowercase Episodes will normally be released on the first of each month and we will also publish bonus episodes from time to time I hope that you will listen in again next time for episode 2 where my guest will be Erica Banks, who works as the communications lead for the charity. In the meantime, look after yourselves and each other, and if you're undergoing treatment, hang in there.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go.